glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Focusing tonight specifically on the petition prayer that Jehoshaphat gives here. Um, and then following this, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, there's a great message on praise and praising God uh, in verse 20 and how God turned their praise into victory. And uh, if the Lord will allow, we'll, we'll look at that next week. <clears throat> but I want to focus tonight to be, as I said, on verses 1 through 19. If you were to look back in chapter 19, Jehoshaphat in chapter 19 had been rebuked for making affinity with the enemies of God. And uh, he, he, had, he had come back and a prophet named Jehu uh, asked him, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? And then in chapter 19, essentially what happens is Jehoshaphat gets right with God. He had gone and joined affinity with the family of Ahab and, uh, and gone to war with them. And you're familiar with that story. And when he comes back, God rebukes him. He agrees that he had been wrong. And he restores some justice and judgment. He sets up judges in the land in chapter 19. If there was a time you would think that things would go well in Judah, it would be after this. When the king has gotten right, he's corrected some things and has challenged and charged those that are in authority throughout the land to do right, that judgment is the Lord's. There's, to be only, and there's no iniquity with the Lord, no respect of persons, no taking of gifts. That's all chapter 19. And it, what happens after aligning with God, getting some things right with God, guess what comes next? A tremendous host comes against them. Don't think this is an accident. I don't believe it is. Many times when we have submitted ourselves to God and aligned with His will, the next thing we face is tremendous opposition. And we can get our focus on the devil and say, why does he do that? Well, if it's the devil, it's because he's the devil. The devil's not even mentioned in chapter 20, just the enemies of God. People, other people. But I believe one of the reasons that the Lord allows that is to test our obedience. Were we sincere or were we not? Jehoshaphat has just come back and submitted to the Lord and gotten things aligned and corrected in his kingdom and his own personal life. And what the response is, is opposition. Uh, this goes along with what, we, what we've seen this morning. And I would say this, as you and I make decisions of obedience for the Lord you can expect those decisions to be placed and put to the test to see are we truly going to trust God or in the moment of difficulty are we going to say, no, if this is what happens for obeying the Lord, I'll try another course of action. And so then this is what brings us into chapter 20. In chapter 19, correction in the kingdom. Chapter 20, conflict in the kingdom. And so in these few verses what we find, uh, I'm going to give us again three points tonight in these 19 verses about Jehoshaphat's prayer, in much of these verses, he is speaking directly to God. And so that's what, again, brings us into this series of messages. We're talking about how the Christian should use their tongue. I believe this. If we would use our tongue more to pray, we would use our tongue less for a lot of other things. If we would pray for people, we would backbite them less. If we used our, ta- our tongue to speak out our concerns to God about certain things. How many of you know when someone else is bugging you, if you'll pray for them, God can correct your heart? How many of you know when you start praying for someone else, you start praying, Lord, and you know, you may not spell this out to the Lord, but you start praying for them so the Lord can correct them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the longer you pray, maybe that person is wrong and they need correction, but speaking to God about them will help you get your own heart right. How many have ever been around other people that will not tolerate backbiting? Have I ever been around other people like that? They just won't tolerate it? I remember one time uh, speaking to a man, he's in heaven now, and another preacher came up and uh, I began to say some things and he was my elder by far. And he said, well, let's, let's call him, Brother Nevin. I said, oh, uh, I don't know how to do that. So let's just call him. We'll ask him. And he was prone to do this. If someone else had come up, why, he would just dial their phone number and say, here, let's talk to him about it. Very helpful. Teach you to be mindful of what you say. (laughs) Now, if other human beings can help us keep ourselves accountable to not backbite or speak about some other way we shouldn't, how much more does God do that? You say, where are you going with this? I'm saying in these last few messages, we've been talking about confession and thanksgiving. 
our first focus on how the Christian ought to use their tongue is about our communion and our speaking to God. If we do not have a proper established prayer life, we're not going to use our tongue right with other people. So I think these first few messages are fundamental to what follows. If we are faithful to confess our sins and faithful to confess who the Lord is and faithful to thank Him and faithful when we are troubled and distressed to petition God, it's going to stop a lot of murmuring, a lot of complaining and all those kind of things. Simply speaking to God as we should will take care of most of the problems we have with speaking to others as we should not. I believe that. That's true in so many parts of our Christian life. Once our relationship with the Lord is right, that inherently corrects our relationship with one another. That's why we love each other by obeying God. That's what we saw Thursday night. And so I say all that to say, these series of messages on how we speak to the Lord, they're not merely on prayer. It is truly instruction to us how we need to use our tongue. How many of you know it is far easier, whether it's our tongue, our hands, or our feet, to use them in the wrong way than it is to use them in the right Well, of course it is. So there has to be purpose of heart by faith to use them the right way. May I say this? You'll never, you'll never have the kind of prayer life, if if a prayer life at all, until you decide you're going to. If you're saved tonight, there has to be a time where you say, I'm going to quit pretending that it's okay for me not to be spending time in prayer, and I'm going to, because I know the Lord wants me to, not because I know pastor wants me to, or because my mate wants me to, or my parents want me to, I'm going to pray because I know my Savior wants to hear from me every day. There has to be that decision. And so we find Jehoshaphat was a man that already had that kind of a heart. So here he is tested, and what he's going to do in his moment of testing He's going to choose to pray. And so then, let me give you these points tonight. Number one, in verses 1 through 4, we find the preparation in Jehoshaphat's life for prayer. He's going to petition the Lord in prayer, but there's some preparation in advance of that. And I got a little ahead of myself in the introduction here. But the preparation for prayer begins with distress in his life. I don't think we would want to see the kind of people we would become if God removed all distress from our life. James chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 4. James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I've used this illustration before and I'll use it again. Sometimes our children, uh, in raising children, I'm not talking about any one of them in particular, just generically, they'll have a very difficult day or a very difficult week, meaning things just seem to go wrong. They get in trouble. They don't, they're not mindful of obeying like they should be. So there's discipline. There's more than normal. And yet, these, I'm talking about children that have already been saved and have expressed a desire in doing what's right. And on occasion, this has happened with multiple of them, if not all of them who, who are saved. I'll say something like this. Do you ever pray and ask the Lord to help you to, to be a good and obedient child? And the answer inevitably is yes, and they do. And I say, do you realize that this very difficult day or week is God answering your prayer? If a child wants to stop being foolish, what is God's solution to a child's foolishness that's bound in his heart? The rod. If the child sincerely begins to hunger to be a a wiser child, you know what's going to have to come in that child's life? Difficulty. Now, you and I, I think if I asked every one of you in this room tonight, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Do you want to stay where you are as a Christian in your conformity to Christ or would you like to be more like him and would you like to grow spiritually in the days ahead? I think, I believe every one of you would say, I want to grow. And I'm going to grant you, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you would mean that sincerely. I believe Jehoshaphat in chapter 19 made a sincere decision. He realized he had, had erred in helping the ungodly. He responded correctly to preaching directly to him that told him, you're wrong in helping Ahab fight battles. You sinned. And Jehoshaphat submitted, said, you're right, I sinned. Lined himself up with the word of God. And now God is going to help him solidify that decision by allowing difficulty and distress in his life. We must understand the value 
of affliction if we're going to go forward with the Lord. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I think most of us, in our, in, as you grow spiritually, begin to think, okay, I'll be spiritual when I'm willing to tolerate affliction. I think the Bible goes a step further. When I learn to rejoice in it, I'm where I need to be. When I learn that God uses affliction and distress in my life to grow my faith in Him and to perfect my spiritual character. How many of you want to stop? As I said, you want to stop right where I've got enough virtue. I don't want any more virtue. I'm good. I don't want to be a better witness. I don't want to be more honest. I don't want to have more godliness. I don't want my testimony to have any more credibility than it does today. I don't want to represent the Lord any better in my life. I'm good right where I'm at. I think if you could put a label on it, say, okay, on a scale from 1 to 10, are you a one Christian, meaning you people barely know you are one by observing your life, or are you a 10? I mean, you're like the Apostle Paul. I don't know if anybody's going to say I'm a 10. And if they do, they're definitely a one, <laughs> right? But the fact of matter is, wherever you are, I think you'd say, but I'd like to be more like the Lord. If you're saved, something in there, and you're in church on Sunday night, surely something in there say, I want to be a better Christian. Well, we must understand affliction, difficulty, and distress is part of that. I, I do believe this. As I watch difficulty, um, when I have seasons where there's not as much, it's more difficult for me to maintain my prayer life. How I many you know it is, it is, there's more of a hunger for prayer when you have problems? Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating, oh, God, give me all kind of problems. Life come, gives enough of them without ever asking for them. But we do need to have the right kind of attitude toward them. And when distress, the first preparation for prayer in Jehoshaphat's life was distress. Difficulty, problems. The Bible says in verse 1, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now the Bible would make it very clear, this is a huge host of people. The J- Judah couldn't even come close to matching them in military force. There was no match, no competition here. The Ammonites and the Moabites are children of Lot, you'll remember that. The Ammonites uh, are a picture of the flesh, a type of the flesh for the Christian. There is distress, there is an onslaught to try to to bring Judah under. Let's make the spiritual analogy today for a church that says we want to be a biblical church. We want not just to exist. We want to be the kind of church God wants us to be, a place where the unsaved can come and hear a compelling, convicting message of the gospel, not just from the pulpit, but from the lives of God's people. We want God to use us to be a reproof to see people saved. Uh, We want God to be able to use us to do His work in the heart of the unsaved. But we also want to be the kind of church where God's people, saved people, can come and grow in obedience to Jesus Christ. We want to be that kind of people. And the world says, no, no. And the flesh says, no. You need to make some compromises. And the force against us can be overwhelmingly strong. And that causes distress. How in the world? And we deal with this often, but... We look at the amount of opposition to just living a righteous, godly, holy life, being a righteous and godly and, and, and holy person in your conduct and your thoughts and your desires and your deeds in such a wicked world, and it can seem overwhelming and that causes distress. And we can do one of two things. We can either do what we talked about this morning. We can faint or we can say, I'm supposed to use my tongue to talk to God. Um, how many of us find that communication just comes easy? Communication, whether it's between two humans or between a human and God, can be very challenging. And the more you know the Lord, it can be more challenging. As you know Him better and you understand Him better, you can feel more limited. I don't, I don't know what to say to Him. The disciples had been disciples for some time when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. These are men who knew Old Testament Scripture. These are men that are walking with Jesus Christ. And they said, we don't know how to pray. And so my point to you tonight is distress prepares us for prayer. God does not intend distress to drive us from Him, but to draw us to Him. That's what distress is supposed to do. Never ceases to amaze me. Problems come, look, I mean, no offense, but there are people that used to be in this church a year or two years ago. They are not in church at all tonight because of distress. 
the very thing that God intended to bring them forward to save souls around them has caused them to move away. That should not be what we do. God intends distress to draw us nigh, to enrich our time in prayer, not to diminish it. And so Jehoshaphat's preparation for prayer started with distress. Verse 2, Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Damar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. He's like the rest of us. He saw what was coming against him and said, I'm no match for this. And he feared. I think very similar. I referenced Goliath this morning. I think there are so many that look at the call of God and the will of God for the life and the level of opposition, the amount of human reasoning that is out there today to say, that's crazy. You can't live that way. You can't live a life of obedience to God. That's, by the way, that's what holiness is. Obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ because we trust him. I mean, that's really what it is. It is not, uh, it is not merely, I don't, 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 don't. It is, I don't because he doesn't want me to. And I do because he does want me to. It's consecration unto him that results in our lives. And we look at that and we say, man, there's so much, so much reasoning against it. It's impossible to live the way that God would have us to. That very distress, that fear of, I'm going to be defeated. I'm going to be defeated. I cannot succeed at being what God... I can't even succeed as a Christian, period. There's no way to live the Christian life. That's a fear, but it's what we do with that fear that makes the difference. And so the preparation for prayer in Jehoshaphat's life was distress, but then the preparation second was his decision. Look at verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared, but what's the next statement? And set himself to seek the Lord. What did David say? What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. You see, when fear comes, we have to make a decision what we're going to do with it. Are we going to run from what we fear or are we going to flee to God because we fear? Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. How many of you know there are are signal? You hear of people that suffer from PTSD and they have signal words or signal sounds. So, for instance, someone who's been in warfare, they hear an explosion, and it, it, it's a signal for them, and it triggers some emotions inside of them. Say, so where are you going with this? I believe for us, the sense of distress in you should immediately signal it's time to pray. The moment you and I have a, a sense of fear in our soul, whether we're trying to witness to someone or we're trying uh, to make a decision about our practical daily living or it looks like something could come in and conquer our home or our marriage or the church and there's a fear of defeat, of losing the life that God has called us to or losing to the devil or some some lot. We're afraid when Satan is intimidating us that should not signal it's time to flee. It should signal it's time to pray. Jehoshaphat made a decision and the Bible says he set himself to seek the Lord uh, in verse 3, and we ought to do the same. So his preparation for prayer began with distress. Then there was a decision. Then I use the word deliberation because you see he was very in, deliberate or intentional in how he responded to what was coming into his life. May I say this? There are threats to our our spiritual stability. So, for instance, let's say you've made gains in overcoming temptation. You've made gains in doing what is right. Maybe in some time past, you've been in the habit of doing wrong. Let's just use the illustration. You have a child, and they have been in the habit of telling lies. How do you know this? When you've been in a sin habit, it grieves your soul and distresses you. When God begins to give you victory, it gives you joy. How many of you know that Satan comes along and begins to threaten you And because you now have joy through victory, now you have fear that you'll lose the victory. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? Now there's a fear. Then what should I do? And by the way, those fears are generally based on facts. You have a a newer temptation that you've never faced before. Uh, You know, we started to use the illustration of telling a lie. So you have a a seven-year-old child and he's in the habit of lying to get out of trouble. And God begins to deal with that child about that. And he says, Lord, I've lied and it's a sin and I'm sorry, please forgive me. And one day God really works in that child's heart. And that child says, you know what? God, with your help, I'll tell the truth. And one day that child has done something he thinks he might get in trouble for. And the Spirit of God reminds him that you said you'll tell the truth. Dad says, did you do such and such? 
and the child almost lies, and he's reminded by the Holy Spirit of God, no, lying lips and abomination, the Lord, lie not one another. He said, yes, Dad, I did. And Dad says, okay. And there's mercy extended, and there's a joy. That's, that child at that point says, I don't care if I get a spanking. Praise God, I just did what was right. And then he does it again, tells the truth again, and there's a joy, and then all of a sudden... He's tempted to lie for some other reason, like he's never been tempted before, and a fear fills his soul. I'm going to go back to what I used to be. It could be an addiction to some substance. It could be an addiction of some other sort in life to where Satan comes along. What happened is the children of Judah had had a level of success and victory over their enemies, and now the enemy has increased and come in and said, Nope, no longer. We're going to destroy your way of life. We're going to destroy your worship. We're going to steal your city, and you're going to serve us. The child of God, Satan comes along through sin and says, no, no, you thought you were set free from sin. You thought you were going to live a life of victory. You thought God could use you to serve Him. That's what you think. I'm going to win. And fear stirs in our soul. And that fear ought to signal us to be very deliberate at that point and decisive in prayer, which is what Jehoshaphat did. And the Bible says Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to do what? to seek the Lord. He said, I need to hear from God. That's what I need. Set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim to fast throughout all Judah. Now, here's how he could have responded. He might have said, well, I thought I'd gotten right with God. I thought that in submitting to and obeying God, chapter 19, that would secure his protection. But I'm confused. If I'm doing what's right, shouldn't that keep the enemies out? He could have reasoned this all out in his mind and turned to his own self instead of turning to the Lord. How many of you have ever sought your own mind instead of the Lord's? Trouble every time. You and I will never think ourselves out of problems. We'll think ourselves into more. But you and I will never reason or think ourselves out of problems. We can pray ourselves out, but not think ourselves out. So Joshua made a decision. He wasn't going to sit and try to rationalize why am I having difficulty when I've done right He said, I've done what the Lord told me. Now things seem to be going wrong, so I'm going to talk to the Lord about it. Obviously, I need the mind of God. Uh, We have problems. And so then he is deliberate in his seeking of the Lord. I see two things in his deliberation. There was a sober perspective. I use that because the Bible says he declared a, a fast. He said, you know what? We're in a serious enough spiritual situation. How do you know that fasting, it's one of the things that's challenged me in the Bible. It's not hard to determine how often you need to pray. Is it? Uh, Daily, constantly. Uh, Daniel had specifically scheduled three times a day. I don't think that's the only time he prayed, but he certainly played those three. It's not hard to figure out. How often do you fast? Like the Pharisees, twice in a week. Fasting is unique. Fasting is one of those times where I uniquely need the mind of the Lord. We do not fast so that the Lord can get our mind. We fast so he can get, we can get his. We fast to put out distractions to tell the flesh no so that we can tune our spiritual ears to hear God. Most believers in America don't fast, ever, because we don't have spiritual goals. We just want enough of God to keep us out of trouble and make our lives easy. You know, we're not so concerned about the will of God that we'll fast to get his mind or fast and pray so that we can know what his direction for us is. That's why not. And I'm not, I, I don't believe there's a prescribed how off to fast. I just believe it's something God's given us that when you're really serious about hearing from the Lord, it's something we do that allows our spiritual ears to be tuned in. You read Isaiah chapter 58. Fasting is about enabling us to serve the Lord. It's about enabling us to be effective in helping others. It's not about getting God to do what we want. It's not about afflicting ourselves so he'll see our punishing ourselves. It is about afflicting ourselves so that we can hear because affliction is good for us. There's a time when we need to do that. And I find that, that in this instance, Jehoshaphat was serious about hearing from the Lord. He wasn't going to say, well, I'll try this and hopefully God will answer. And if it doesn't work, we'll just cruise along. He said, I need the Lord. I need to hear from the Lord. We need nothing more today than people who have the Spirit of God dwelling within them to truly hear from Him and be directed by Him because then God is able to work through us as He desires to. And so then the preparation for prayer was distress. In His distress, He made a decision. 
the decision was deliberate. There was a sober perspective with a specific purpose. Look at verse 4. And Judah gathered themselves together to do what? Ask help of the Lord. Isn't that a simple statement? They gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need some kind of help from the Lord. Not one of us. The Bible says in the nation of Judah, it was the women and the men and the children gathered together. Much larger assembly than what we have here tonight, but the same kind of assembly. Men, women, children, to do what? To ask help of the Lord. It says that later in the chapter, the men, the women, and the children, the little ones. Uh, Psalm 46 verse 1 tells us that the Lord is a very present help in trouble. A very present help. Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 2, says he is able to succor them that are tempted. You know what the word succor means? To run alongside to help you. It'd be like this. If Braden's over here trying to move the piano and he's about to drop it on his toe and he says, Ah, help! And someone runs up and helps grab that. That's what it means to succor. You know what? The Lord was ready to help Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat had to prepare for the Lord to help him. He had to have a sober mind and he had to be deliberate and say, you know what, I am intentionally going to seek the Lord about the problem I'm facing. I'm not going to come up with a solution. I'm not going to try to fix it myself. It's bigger than what I can handle. I'm going to go directly to the Lord and ask him. And he had a specific purpose, as did the people of God. I remind us of Hebrews 4, verses 15, 16. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, Yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Uh, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Bible says the specific purpose for communing with God and petition is they needed help. From God. You know what prayer is so much about? Us acknowledging not that the Lord needs us to help Him. Listen, so many have that mindset today that the Lord is hard up for people and He so needs our help. Now, God will use us and has designed to use us. And God said, Pray for labors in His harvest field. So, is there a need for help in the harvest? Yeah, but that has more to do with helping one another. We need help from God tonight. I preached this morning, we, can't, we do not have the strength to carry out the will of God, either for ourselves, our homes, or this church. If Bonners Ferry Baptist Church is one body and one, one, one unit can learn together and have one mind to say, you know what, we need the Lord to help us. We need the Lord to help us to be faithful to Him in our daily lives. We need the Lord to help us carry out the work of evangelism. We need the Lord to help us to obey Him. That's what our lives are to be about. We want to obey Him. But Lord, we need you to help us and to get very specific together in asking the Lord to help us do what He's called us to. He's left us on this earth to preach the gospel to every creature, to let our light so shine, to be a godly witness in this community, to have marriages that bring honor and glory to Him. How many of us, look, how many of us ever think about these young people that are sitting here and what their lives are going to look like in 10 years? I grew up in a youth department, a youth group, in a church that had a good pastor, good preaching, had some good teachers in that church, and most of my peers, their lives are in shambles today. They heard good preaching, they heard good teaching, they knew the truth, but their lives are in shambles today. I don't know about you, I look and say, can we not expect something different? Should we not, are we just now to expect sin to win in the marriages of these kids? Should I stand here and be a pessimist tonight and say, well, eight out of ten of you are going to end up in divorce? Or should we say, God, help! The devil's been winning in our churches and he's been winning in our homes and he's winning the pulpits and he's winning in the workplace, but it does not have to be that way. You cannot disconnect the lack of prayer and the lack of victory. I need to hear that and you need to hear that. I wonder if this church would say, you know what, we're going to get serious in seeking the Lord for these, this group of young people not to be wasted by sin, but to be invested in the work of God. 
so that the enemy who is working very hard to win them right now, I hope, I understand we're a small bunch, but I hope it is understood how desperately Satan is not only working to conquer these young people, but the young people we're trying to win to Christ. He's fervently working, and may God help us to say, Lord, help! I believe he's ready to help and willing to help if we'll let the distress in our lives get us ready to seek him for that help. I believe this. I look and assess the different things that the people in this room, especially our young people, observe, and I can so see the skillful hand of our adversary pitching to them, living for the Lord is not worth it. Every young person and every older person has to grapple with that at some point in time. What's, what might be the tipping point and who wins that battle? The Lord's truth or the devil's lies? Prayer. Absolutely, prayer. And so then, preparation for prayer was distress, a decision, and deliberation in prayer through fasting and a specific purpose. Number two, the petitions in prayer. Let's look at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Now, Now notice this. He is living where there's a host much larger than him coming in and surrounding him. It would be very easy to say, if we're God's people, why do they have more? Wouldn't it? If we're the people of God, why do the enemies of God have more numbers? Why are they a larger force? Why do they seem to have more power? And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwell therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name. In his petitions, the first thing he does is recognize and reverence the power of God. He did not let his adverse circumstances change his view of who God is. If we're not careful, we watch how the righteous are diminished and the wicked are expanded, and it makes us think, well, if God is so right, why are there more wicked than there are righteous? I'm thankful for the wisdom of God's word because it says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto righteousness, and few there be. How many know the righteous have been in the minority all along? How many people were on the earth when the flood came? I don't know, but I know only eight of them got on a boat. Listen to me. One of the lies of Satan is, if you were right, more people would be on board. That's not been true throughout any period in history, except for maybe brief moments of time, but I don't think ever. Even when Israel was sold out to the Lord, they were one tiny nation among all the others. So tonight, Jehoshaphat is not letting his circumstances cloud his view of who the Lord is. He says, Lord, I want to acknowledge who you are. You're the God of our fathers, you're God in heaven, and you rule over all the kingdoms of the heathen. Meaning, even those who don't recognize your power, you're in charge of them. The Ammonites and the Moabites, they're under your rule. And in thine hand, is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? He's doing what we're seeing tonight is what we preached about this morning. He's saying, Lord, you don't lack power. We do. We're weary. We're faint. We're weak. We don't have the ability to oppose the force that's come against us. But Lord, you have all power. This is what I believe our Lord meant when he said, when you begin your prayer, our Father which art in heaven, you know what we're saying? We're recognizing God is always the same. He is the creator. He is the ruler of the entire earth. He will rule and reign. And when it looks like rebellion has succeeded against him, don't fall for that lie. The Lord is still in control. It is His determination what He'll do. I believe He has given us prayer as a tool to petition Him about the circumstance and the situation we live in. It's as though we're in enemy territory and we have a communication line that we can call back to our headquarters and say, we are outnumbered here. (laughs) Help! That's what Jehoshaphat's doing. 
He says, Lord, we're outnumbered. You are not. He recognizes the power of God. We are to do that and reverence him in prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Those are not words to repeat. It's a truth to recognize that the Lord is God in heaven. He is. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. His character is unchanged. His, his attributes are no different than you find them to be in the Bible. And Satan loves to orchestrate circumstances to cause us to think that's not true. And we must not fall for the lies of our circumstances, of our emotions, but believe the word of God. Is Jehoshaphat praying by what he sees or by what he knows to be true from God's word? He knows. He starts rehearsing what God has done in time past. He says, Lord, didn't you drive the enemy out from before us? Uh, We have a history book that says you overcame the foe in time past. We have record of other people having victory, but Lord, we're not experiencing that right now. Oh, to get a generation of Christians before the Lord Jesus returns that says, Lord, we have seen and have heard and read of other people that saw you move on their, ha- on their behalf to give them victory. Instead of succumbing to the intimidation of the evil, they stood in boldness for you. Men like Stephen, men like Peter in the Bible, men we read about in history who were willing to stand for Christ and be burned at the stake if necessary to be true. Oh God, give us the same. Instead of letting the enemy run rough shot and act like God is dead, may God use us to show that he's not. I believe that's what Jehoshaphat's burdened about. Lord, you have all power, but we represent you and we're about to be defeated. And so he is reverencing the power of God, verses 5 through 7. He rehearses the promises of God, verses 8 through 9. You could read about that in Second Chronicles 5, 6, and 7. He's familiar with the prayer that Solomon had prayed when the temple was built and how that God had promised, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That text of Scripture in Second Chronicles 7, Solomon had said, Lord, if the sword come or pestilence or any of these things, if the people will recognize your presence in this temple and pray to you, would you please hear their prayer and move on their behalf? He references those promises from Second Chronicles 5, 6, and 7. He says in verse 8, he said, and they dwelt therein, talking with the land of Canaan, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil come upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. He said, Lord, you've promised when we reached a moment like we're in right now. How I many you know the nation of Judah had had better days? Between Solomon and Jehoshaphat, there were some rotten kings, starting with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and some after that. And there had been some rotten kings in Israel that had brought the enemy and opened the door for the enemy to come in the land. As as God-fearing, Bible-believing, spirit-indwelt people, we've had better days in America than we have right now. I'm not saying, Lord, make our nation better. I'm saying... No matter what the circumstances are, God's people should desire for God to show himself mighty to defend his own name through our victories. And that's what Jehoshaphat's praying for. And so then he rehearses the promises of God. Here's the instruction for us. Are there some promises you and I can take to the Lord in prayer? How many of you have the wisdom you need already for this week? May I say to you, God does not give you wisdom one week at a time or for a year at a time. He gives you wisdom for a day. How do you know that? Because he said, give us this day our daily bread. I said, if the, Lord, if the Lord gave us a year's worth of wisdom to live by, we'd talk to him once a year. But he says, I want you to come to me every day. <laughs> every day. And so you know what? We have today what we need. The Lord's promised it to us. We need to go to him for it. God has made promises. He said, ask and it shall be given you. Friend, that is, not, that is not a hopeful hypothetical. That's a promise. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Do you have wisdom for the spiritual deficiency that you have in your life? Do you have wisdom for the, 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 the lack of strength or the, the lack of ability that you have, the thing that grieves you and burdens you? If not, he says, ask. James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. We ought to go to God and say, Lord, you promised me this. 
You promised that if I would submit to you, draw nigh to you, resist the devil, that he would flee and I could draw nigh to you and you'd draw nigh to me. Lord, you promised that. We ought to pray that way. Taking God at his word and reminding him, I'm asking because you promised this. I got news for you. There are times I may give my word to my children I forget. They have my permission to say, Dad, do you remember you said? When they do that, you know what it does to me? I must be a man of my word. I got to keep my word. Amen? Now, if we as sinful humans can get a hold of that, we go to God. God wants to hear us say, I know what you promised me. I know what promises you gave me, and now I am coming to cash in. I believe that's what Jehoshaphat's doing. He's saying a promise that's decades and decades and decades old is applicable today, Father in heaven, and I'm asking on the promise you made to Solomon concerning a moment like this right now. And I'm asking you to give me what we need. And so uh, we ought to lay hold of the promises in Scripture. Uh, for us as Christians, we have a lot more promises than they did applicable to us. And so he reverenced God's power. He rehearsed his promises, and he requests God's performance. Verse 10, And now, behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade. He's reminding the Lord of their history. The Lord knew it, but he's reminding the Lord. He said, Lord, when we went through that land as a nation, you did not let us conquer them then. You let them survive when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. We're in verse 11 now. Behold, I say how they reward us. Here we didn't attack them, and now they're attacking us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. He's saying, Lord, they're dealing wrongly with us. Will you not deal with them? He said, I don't have the power to deal with them, but will you not? Will you not address their inequity and their injustice? He's requesting God to move in the department that only God had authority to move in. And then he recognizes and does to the Lord. He gives verbal recognition to their problem. He said, I'm asking you, Lord, to act because we cannot. For we have no might. I find it interesting, that phrasing in verse 12 and how it compares with the message from Isaiah 40 this morning. He increaseth strength to those who have no might. We find Jehoshaphat acting in tonight's message, and what we heard in this morning's message, he says, Lord, I'm asking for you to move because we don't have the ability to. We have no might. We have none. And so then he rehearses this to God in prayer, acknowledges his problem and the problem of his people, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Then he says this, neither know we what to do, uh, but our eyes are upon thee. There have been moments in pastoring this church in the last couple of years concerning certain issues. I've had to say, Lord, and I'm not making this up for the sake of sermon. It's just the truth. I don't know what to do. You know why I would tell the Lord that? Because the absolute frank and honest truth. I really don't know what to do. Whether it be dealing with the problem or dealing with how to do the work, I don't know what to do. I, I understand um, we're supposed to have all the answers, right? The truth is we don't. I don't. I don't. I, I wish I wish I could, you know, put a card out and say, oh, come get counsel. I have all the answers. That'd be a lie. But there's time we need answers. Jehoshaphat said, Lord, we got a host coming. By the way, there's no way to stop the spiritual assault on your life personally, on your family, or on this church from a godless world and the God of it. There's no way to stop it. So we either get defeated or we go to God to get the answer. We should go and say, Lord, we have no mind. We, know what, we don't know what to do. But then it says this. He says, but our eyes are upon thee. What are we reading in Hebrews 12? Looking unto Jesus, the author. He did, he did not say, Lord, I've numbered the people 32 times. We don't have it. He did not look at his insufficiency. He said, Lord, it's very clear. We have no might. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. You know what he's doing? We're waiting. We're waiting. I have told you our circumstance. I have, I have reminded you that I'm aware of your promises and I'm reminding you to make claim on them. You promised if we would come and approach you this humble fashion, you would hear us and you would help us. Amen? Christian, we need to pray this way. Do you hear in Jehoshaphat any arrogance? Do you hear confidence? 
I hear confidence not in self, but I do hear confidence in the Lord. He said, our eyes are upon thee. You know what? I believe if, if you study the prayer life of George Mueller, we're not about exalting men. In fact, he worked great, put great effort into making sure that would never happen. What you will find that made his prayer effectual is he just took God at his word and he prayed that way. He was known to pray over and over, Lord, you promised to be a defender of the fatherless and the widows. My venture cannot fail because I'm ministering to the fatherless. And God, you promised to take care of the fatherless. And he saw God do miracle after miracle after miracle. Did George Mueller have some kind of a secret? He made it very clear, I don't. I've just decided to take God at his word. You know what? There are promises in this Bible that cannot, cannot fail. And we need to pray that way. Lord, you've made this promise. You said if I lack wisdom, you'd give it. You say that no temptation, you'd make a way to escape temptation that I may be able to bear it. I'm asking you for you to fulfill that promise in my life and I'm expecting you to do it. Amen? He prayed uh, with recognition of his own problem but requesting the Lord to intervene and move on his behalf. And he said, and our eyes are upon thee. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because... He trusteth in thee. And so he's waiting on God then to move. Here's what happens. The Bible says, verse 13, And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Verse 14. So here's God's answer to his prayer. The Bible does not say they got the next morning, as it was with Hezekiah and 185,000 number of dead. Here what happens. In fact, if you study the correlation between this story, when Hezekiah was surrounded by a great army, God answered with a preacher, with a prophet. The Bible says, Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord. So the Spirit of the Lord comes on this man in the midst of the congregation. So Jehoshaphat's just prayed, Lord, our eyes are upon thee. And all of a sudden, this man uh, stands up and says, Jehaziel says, I, I've got something to say. God has given me a message for us. Verse 15, And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Whose name was on the line now that God's been petitioned? Then it's his battle. It's my name that's on the line. It's my battle. He says, Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. God's giving them wisdom. I'm going to tell you exactly where they're coming and where you're going to meet them. And ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves and stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. Why? For the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. I'll give you three things here. We've seen his preparation for prayer through distress, decisiveness, and deliberation. His petition was in reverence of God's power, rehearsal of God's promises, request for God's performance, and recognition of his own problem and need. Then the prevailing in prayer, God gives revelation. And not some mystical thing. God, His Spirit moves today. I understand we have the revelation of the Bible, but how many of you understand when the Spirit of God takes what's in this Bible and begins to show you specific answers for your needs? I'm not talking about anything mystical. I'm talking about when the indwelling Holy Spirit takes His book and starts... I told you this week, and I mean this so sincerely, God has throughout, day after day, took Isaiah 40, verse 11. He's fed me three days on the same verse. What a precious, precious verse in God's Word that's given some very practical wisdom for our, where our church is right now where my own life is right now, and, and understanding God's dealings with me right now. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm saying something to you because it gives me joy to know that the, the Lord is so in tune and concerned about... My, he is more concerned about my spiritual state tonight than I ever could be. But the fact of the matter is, and yours as well, and this church, my, my point is this, that when you and I pray, our answer to prayer is in God opening our eyes to His truth. He's going to send us help through His Word, through the preaching of His Word, and through the precepts of His Word. God's going to give us light, and that's what He does to them. God repeatedly says, I, God says, don't be afraid. 
that host is bigger than you, but you're going to win. No need to fear. You're going to go down with the cliff of Ziz. That's where they're coming. God gives them very, very specific instruction. Set yourselves, be still, and see what the Lord will do. You don't even, you're not even going to draw a sword in this battle. Some battles you do, not this one. And you know what? Here's what happens next. So they have revelation. There is a reverential response to God, verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. It's what I don't want you to miss. We mentioned this last week on Thanksgiving. Has the victory already occurred? Isn't the host still as big as it was before? It is. Aren't they still coming to defeat and destroy them? They are. But Jehoshaphat bows his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. How can you do that? The enemy's still there. The problem's still there. Had the problem changed? What changed their distress to joy? The Word of God. They did not have to have their circumstances changed before they could praise the Lord. We see a reverential response and we see that turn into rejoicing. It would be the rejoicing that they do by faith that would give them the victory. Now, let me tell you something tonight. When God gives us his answer, you and I don't have to wait for it to be carried out before we can thank him for what he's going to do and what he's done. Amen? We have a promise of God, and when we have prayed and God answers us specifically, how many have ever had this happen? You've prayed about something, come to church, preacher preaches a message, not having any clue what you've prayed, but you know God answered your prayer. And you still have the problem you had when you came to church. What should be our response? Lord, thank you so much, knowing that he's going to keep his word. Whether that is to deliver you from some temptation, whether it is to give you direction for a decision, when the Lord speaks, you and I should worship, bow their heads and worship, the Bible says, and rejoice in the answer God gave them. That is, that is rejoicing and praising God by faith, just like Hannah did, just like we saw last week. And so tonight, petitions in prayer, I believe this, we are in spiritual conflict. That's part of the spiritual, that's part of being a Christian. But the Lord has given us what we need for victory. May God help us tonight to use prayer. Remember, Ephesians chapter 6, all the way down through there, put on the whole armor of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Maybe tonight you have something distressing you. <laughs> if you're living, chances are you either do, have had, or will soon. <laughs> the question is going to be, am I going to run to the Lord or am I going to deal with it some other way? Am I going to follow this pattern we have of petitioning God, recognizing that my circumstances don't change who he is one bit? I'm going to recognize that in prayer, rely on his promises, ask him to move on my behalf, acknowledging I don't have what I need. I believe the Lord so specifically put this morning and tonight's messages together in a way that, that was not planned by myself. And I want us to respond to the Lord as we should tonight. Maybe be, you know what? Shouldn't Modern Spirit Baptist Church be a praying church? Not just prayer meetings, but us be a praying people. And if we will, we'll see the Lord honor His word. Ask and shall be given, seeking you shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Mm-hmm.